One of my favorite things to preach on, to teach on, and I think I have mentioned this before not all that long ago, is something that just keeps coming back to my heart and my mind often, and that is for believers to understand who they truly are in Jesus Christ, understand their identity. Because when you have a full understanding of your identity, it changes everything. It changes your perspective. It changes how you view life. It changes how you view um, the things that happen to you in life. It changes your whole way of being, your whole way of living. So many people go through life as having an orphan spirit, but if you know your identity, it changes things. If you know your identity, that you are loved, that you are desired, that you are wanted, it changes everything. And I want to talk to you tonight for just a few moments. I really don't anticipate being up here all that long. But I really believe that knowing and believing about yourself and understanding who you are in Jesus Christ and the blessings that go along with that status as a child of God plays a huge role in either you living an overcoming life in the Lord or going through a hum-ho life or a life that is subpar or substandard. I want you to understand that you can live an overcoming life in the here and now as a child of God. You do not have to wait until you get to heaven one day to understand what it is to have an overcoming life, to live in the joy of the Lord, to live in victory, to know who you are and to know whose you are. Jesus Christ wants to set you free in your identity in Christ to be all that he has called you to be, meaning that any bondage, anything that tries to keep you down and hold you down that doesn't line up with the kind of life that the Lord wants for you, he is willing and able to break those very things. You see, people want to identify you with all kinds of things. They want to identify you by your job. They want to identify you by your skills. They want to identify you by your failures in life, maybe by your addictions, maybe by your money, maybe by your attitude, but certainly they want to identify you by your family. You see, people oftentimes in this world want to identify you more by the bad going on in your life than any good. They would rather identify you by the bondages that you suffer through and that you go through than the potential that is inside of you in Christ. Why is that? It's because the bad stuff always makes the news. But the good stuff rarely, if ever, makes the news. People want to put on you certain identities... And my prayer is that these bondages begin to fall and that these bondages begin to break in a person's life, not just tonight, but in the days, weeks, months to come. And that you start to learn who you are in Jesus Christ without any fear, without any shame, and without any intimidation. 
So how does the enemy bring bondage into people's lives? The same way that he's done for millennia. He does it through lies and he does it through deceit. Those are his primary ways of tricking people. Those are his primary ways of setting up bondages and strongholds in people's lives. Just as he tricked Adam and Eve in the garden, he deceives even believers today. Not deception to the point that they are kept out of heaven. I'm not talking about believers losing salvation to the point that they're kept out. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about keeping where they live powerless, overcoming lives. Lots of people going to heaven, but they're leading powerless lives in the here and now. Amen? How many of you want power and joy in your life? So of course you do. Most people who are being held captive by bondages or by those things that make us not feel a part of the kingdom, there's a sense of shame that goes with it. We want to be set free, but how did those bondages get there in the first place? This deception from the enemy convinces us that we aren't even a part of the family of God. And so we walk around defeated and powerless Christians. That's what that verse was that Malachi read to you a few minutes ago. Again, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. I just want to repeat it very quickly. He says, I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness that your minds may be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Paul in this text was worried that the Corinthians had allowed the enemy to impact their thought life and their emotions. He wasn't worried about the devil controlling circumstances. Did you hear that? Many times we think that the enemy is so in control of the circumstances of this world that we are helpless and powerless in the face of all of his control. But that's not what Paul was getting at. His point was to say he was afraid that their minds had been led astray and that they had been fallen victim to the craftiness of the enemy. He wasn't so much controlling life circumstance as much as he had affected their perception. Perception. You see, there aren't enough pills in the world to fix it if the devil is in your mind and your thoughts. You can be on medication all you want, and certainly that has its place, not detracting from that. But if the enemy has set up a stronghold in someone's life, it's going to impact them to the point that nothing in this earth can do. It's a spiritual fight. He was worried that the Corinthians had been deceived. And what the devil did to Eve in the garden is what he tries to do to us today. The enemy tempted Eve to do the very thing that he wanted to do while he was still in heaven. And what was that? It's to be like God. That's really what the temptation was, was to be like God. The question was asked, did God really say if you eat of that tree? The devil was really telling Eve, the only thing separating you from being like God is the fruit of the tree. So just go ahead and eat it and you'll be just like him. And that's what the devil wanted to be. He wanted to be just like God. And he uses the same kind of temptation that he tempted Eve with and she fell for it. It's really about a self-sufficiency. 
It's more about this idea of, well, if I go ahead and eat that fruit, then I really won't need God anymore. I'll be just like him. I'll know everything that he knows. You see, the devil is trying to make it an all about us faith, where we become self-sufficient if we're not careful, where we try and get to heaven on our own terms, but you can't and you never will be able to enjoy your life or your relationship with Christ without Jesus right in the middle of everything that's going on in your life. Not just the Lord of your life in certain areas, but the Lord of your life in every area. That's why John chapter 15 verse 5 points out that we can't do anything without him. We can do nothing without the Lord. We cannot be successful. We cannot be overcoming. We can't do anything without Jesus right in the middle of everything that's going on. So the devil wants to confuse people. If he cannot get people to turn away from Christ, his next step is to confuse them. Offer up confusion. Live in a state of turmoil. Oh, you might be going to heaven, and if he can't keep you out of heaven, he wants to keep you in a state of turmoil and confusion. He wants sinners to think they're saints, and he wants saints to think they're sinners. That's where the world is living today. This blinds both parties and robs them of what God wants to do in their lives. You say, why is that? Because oftentimes sinners act more saintly than saints and saints act more sinful than sinners sometimes. And it confuses people. The world gets confused. So how does the enemy try and work on us? How does the enemy come in after all of these things? Well, the first thing he wants to do is he wants to get your mind. He goes after the mind. There are so many scriptures in the Bible about the mind and allowing our mind to be controlled by the Lord. I mean, you know many of them, but and not putting them on the overhead, but just to reference them, some of the more famous ones are Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and on and on and on and on. If the enemy can get in your mind, he knows he's got you. He knows he's got you. He messes with your mind, and so he plants thoughts. And if we're not careful, we begin to adopt, and we begin to accept these lies. And what happens is, with a thought, he gets a foothold. Just a little gap is all he needs. If he can get his foot in there with a little lie, a little deception, if we don't keep him out, if we don't push him out, he knows that eventually that foothold will turn into a stronghold eventually. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a, it, it's a slow process. So Satan himself thought that he would be like the most high. And when that didn't work out, he decided, well, if I can't be like the most high, I'm going to trick and deceive and warp those things that were created in the image of God. I'll go after humanity. So he gives similar thoughts. Think about it. When he plants a negative thought in people's minds about all kinds of things. About their marriages. About their finances. I had a person come up to me several Sundays ago. It's, I don't know, four or five Sundays ago, whenever it was. And they wanted a, wanted a special time of prayer. And I said, what are we praying for? What, what are we praying about? And they said, I just have this feeling that everything is about to go down. And I said, what do you mean you have a feeling that everything is about to go down? They said, I feel like my life, everything about it is about to crumble. 
And I said, that's not of God. That's a, that, that's, that's a foreboding feeling. That's a feeling that everything is about to collapse around them. And it's a negative thought. It's a thought that the enemy tries to put in people's lives. He'll go after your marriage with negative thoughts. He'll go after your finances with lies. He'll go after your health with lying thoughts. He'll go after your lost loved ones. And if you agree with him and you don't take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, you open the door more and more and more to his lies and his influence and his deceit. And that's how strongholds get formed. Now let me stop and say, people don't often knowingly do that. Many times we fall, that, that's, the, that's what we mean when we say deceit. We've been tricked. Nobody's going to willingly, knowingly ally themselves with the devil. He comes in and he's subtle and he's sly and he lies to us and it's trickery. And what happens is Satan has programmed his thoughts into the minds of so many Christians for so long that many of them can't even tell the difference between what is a thought of God and what is a thought of the enemy. We've been tricked. So the enemy is so subtle. He is so subtle. Think about this. When you look in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22 through, 20, verse 22 through 23, just two verses there. He's so subtle that he even tried to use Peter to convince and stop Jesus from going to the cross. Think about that. Here you have this leader amongst the disciples and in those verses, you can read them for yourself. I'm not going to do that for the sake of time. But here he's trying to convince Peter to stop Jesus from going to the cross. This man who loved Jesus, Jesus who loved this man, and this close connection, this close bond. And what was Jesus' response to this man? Get behind me, Satan. It was subtle. It was trickery. Anybody else been called Satan? Man, that's a heavy, that's a heavy load right there. So if he can get your mind, that's the one thing he's going after. The next to come are your emotions. He tries to transfer his thoughts to your emotions. Most people, even saved people, live in their emotions. Emotions are strong. People make all kinds of statements like, I don't love him. I don't love her. We say all these emotional outbursts. We say all these things. I don't know that it necessarily applies to every realm of a, of a, of a person's life, but I've heard it said, uh, Dave Ramsey always talks about when it comes to finances. He says that 80% of most people's financial activity, the way that they spend their money, 80% of it is emotionally based. It's emotionally based. 80% of people's spending habits has everything to do about emotions. So emotions are powerful things. They're so strong that even when wrong emotions come in, we become convinced that the wrong thoughts which lead to wrong emotions are actually right. And it's all by deception. It's all by lies. It's all by agreeing with them. You say, well, what's the antidote to that? Well, it's hard, but you have to believe the word of God above and beyond your emotions. How many of you know your, your emotions oftentimes will lie to you? And sometimes your emotions will kick in and say one thing and then you'll have this thought that says, man, that doesn't line up with the word of God. And then you have a choice. Which one are you going to believe? 
Are you going to believe the Word of God or are you going to believe how you feel? Listen, I know that feelings are powerful. I know feelings are powerful. But which is more true? Amen? So the final thing is this. So if he can get your mind and your emotions, next will come your actions. That's the progression of this thing. When Eve had the idea presented to her by Satan and the question was asked, did God really say? She had her thoughts, which were in her mind. They were actually the devil's thoughts. Let me just hit the pause button and say, did you know every thought that you have is not always yours? Sometimes those, those voices in your head, they're real. They're legit. Sometimes it's the voice of the Lord speaking to you. Come on, church. Sometimes it's the voice of the enemy. Sometimes those voices that are in your head when people say, I've been hearing voices, you better believe them. There's something going on there. So Eve, in her case, she had these thoughts which weren't really even her thoughts. They were the thoughts of the enemy. And then she had her emotions engaged by the thought, even though what she was told was a lie. Her emotions were engaged. And then finally she acted and she ate the fruit. And let me just stop and say her husband was no better. He did the same thing. He had the same temptation. And here's the thing, it cost them and it cost us everything. I, I really, when I say it cost us everything, I really don't think we, especially in this fallen state, all these thousands of years removed, can have a true understanding or grasp just what was lost. We really can't. I mean, we can try and tag it. We can try and wrap our, our minds around it. Before the fall, everything was perfect. Perfect. We don't even understand what that means. We can't imagine what I mean when I say perfect because we have never witnessed or imagined a perfect state or a perfect uh, existence with God. We can't identify with that. They really didn't even have to work, per se. Adam never broke a sweat prior to the fall. Work wasn't even really work. All of their food and all of their lodging was provided for them. The temperature and the weather was perfect. 68, and all the men said amen. And all the women said somewhere about 73, 74, right? The weather was perfect, perfect. Atmosphere was perfect. Everything was perfect. There was no stress. Come on, somebody. No stress. No violence. None. I got in a wrestling match with my kids before church. And it was fun. There was no jealousy. No anger. No financial worries. No relationship issues of any kind. Zero. No taxes. Well, I figured I'd get a little more than that, but... No pain. How many of you are at a point where you wake up every morning, you hurt? 
I mean, we could go on and on and on, and we say these words, but we can't even really imagine them because we've never even had a foretaste of it. But they did. They didn't have any spiritual warfare whatsoever prior to the fall. They were in perfect union with God Almighty. Isn't that powerful? But after the fall, look how much they lost. The biggest loss was spiritual. The biggest loss was spiritual. They lost out on an unbelievable level of intimacy and communion with God. I mean, that's really, if you break down the word intimacy, that's what it means. It, you could break it down and literally it says, into me see. And I'm not trying to be gross or vulgar or anything like that. But when we talk about acts of intimacy between a husband and wife, we're literally talking about one of the most vulnerable things that could possibly be done. And here with God, they had a level of intimacy where God was like, I want you to see everything about me. And, and God could see everything about them. They were in perfect intimacy and communion with God. And there was no shame. There was no fear. Can you imagine that? No shame, no fear. That was the spiritual loss. They also had the physical loss. They knew what it was to hurt. They knew what it was to be bro broken down in body. They knew what it was to age, and they knew what it would be to one day to die physically. Also, the Bible points out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, get this. This was when fear was introduced to the world. They had never been afraid before the fall. How do we know that? Some of the first words recorded of Adam in the Bible pertain to his fear of God where he said, I was afraid and I hid myself from you. Fear entered the world because of the fall. Their emotions were so messed up. And how many of us live in fear on a regular basis? I've been there in times in my life where you live in a place of fear. But you understand that the root of fear is self-sufficiency. It's an independence from God. That's really where fear comes from. It's where you feel like that you have a loss of control and that maybe, just maybe, God is not going to come through for you. Or that maybe, just maybe, God won't come through the way you want him to come through. And let me just stop and say, that's true. That's true. He may not come, for, come through for you the way you want him to. But it li it, people live in this state of fear. After the fall, there was all this relationship issue. Anybody ever heard of the battle of the sexes? That's when it started. Adam and Eve, after the fall, that's when the battle of the sexes started. Then psychological breakdown. We could, I mean, we could go on and on and on. I won't do that for the sake of time. But I want to close with just a few statements here. One of the reasons that Satan is so successful is because he will never tell you the full story up front. He'll never tell you the full story up front. He will entice you and then he will turn around and ridicule you for falling into his temptations. 
The same one that comes along and wears on you and pulls on you and entices you and tempts you when you finally give in to his recommendation is the very same one that will sit there and say, see there, a real Christian wouldn't have done that. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't have done that. A real Christian wouldn't have went there. A real Christian wouldn't have said that. A real Christian, blah, blah, blah. And so the enemy comes on us with all of these things. And I firmly believe that believers will never be full, uh, will, will be truly free until we understand who we are in Christ and start living who we're, we were created to be. We can be overcomers in Christ in the here and now. We don't have to wait till heaven one day. We can be the kind of people, we can be the kind of examples that we need to be. And you say, well, how do we do that? We got to get our identity back. There is an identity crisis in this world right now. It's everywhere. There's an identity crisis going on. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. And I'm just quoting a portion of it here. It says that we have been crucified with Christ. But he says, I don't live, but it's Christ in me. Really what he's saying is, Paul was saying in that verse, is he's saying, I'm a dead man walking. I'm a dead man walking. You see, now there's all these weird, gross shows out there on TV about zombies and all this kind of stuff, and they're just these lifeless forms, these animatons that just, you know, walk around, and they're just, they're, they're able to move, they're animated, they're able to function, but there's really no life in them. And what Paul was saying is he's saying, I have been crucified with Christ. Now it's no longer Paul that really lives. It's Christ in me that's living. And it's his life in me that's being lived out. And that's where Paul found his identity. His, his complete identity in Christ. So you have to learn your position in Christ. You say, what do you mean by learn your position in Christ? This is what I mean by that. I mean, you learn your position in Christ in the sense of you understand that the way the Father views us in Christ and therefore the way that we should view ourselves. Not thinking too much more of ourselves than we should. I don't, I don't mean in an arrogant way. But understanding that we are redeemed sons and daughters of God. Redeemed sons and daughters of God. And if you understand that, you'll understand that you are an heir of God and that you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ and you have access to heavenly things and you don't have to walk around with your head hung low. You don't have to walk around defeated. You don't have to walk around thinking that the world comes against you and, and that you're just, you're just going to be one of these that scrapes by in life. No, you can be spiritually an overcomer in Christ. If the praise team would go ahead and come. So I want you to get this. I want you to see yourself in this way. If you've accepted Christ, then you really are saved. If you're following after the Spirit, then you're pursuing a life of sanctification. The Holy Spirit 
lives inside of you, that's present reality. That's not just hyperbole. That's not just exaggeration. That's not just super talk for heaven to come. It's how things are right now concerning the way God sees you. The Bible points out that all of the fullness of God, total deity dwells in Christ. And get this, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. And Christ also dwells in you. He also dwells in you, the fullness of God. Not in the absolute sense, in the sense that we're glorified bodies like we're going to be in heaven. But if God is living in you through Christ, then you have everything you need to live an overcoming life. You have everything you need to walk around in a state of joy. You have everything you need to walk around and not be berated and beat down by the lies and the trick and the deceit of the enemy. Some of you burdens have been assigned to your life. The enemy has, has twisted those burdens thinking he's going to take you out. And God is saying, no, those burdens are going to be used to glorify me. Heavy burdens. Where when people look at you, I feel the Holy Ghost. Where when people look at you, they're going to wonder how is it that person can even live and function and smile and have the joy of the Lord in their life. It's because they know that they're a son or daughter of God. Yes, you carry around heaviness. Yes, you carry around a load. Yes, things have been assigned to you. And if there are things that have come upon you, it's because God has allowed it to come, not to crush you, but to glorify him. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. You know, we preach all the time about in the last days that the church is going to go out with a shout. It's going to go out as a victorious church. I, I, let, me, let me just back up and say this. You know, being in the ministry, being in, in this kind of position, you, uh, you know, you have some inside knowledge in certain people's lives, things going on in their lives, hardships that they're dealing with. And there's times that I've stepped back and, I, and I've just kind of watched people's lives, how they endure, how they go through stuff. And I, sometimes I'm just in utter amazement. It's not, it's not saying that they don't have human faults and you know, frailties where they don't wonder about themselves at times. But I'm telling you what, there's overcomers in this room tonight. You... I, I mean that you may not feel like it. You may not feel like it because there's just pressure and it's just one thing after another and the world's gone mad and the world's gone crazy and all this kind of stuff and you deal with it on a daily level and just all this just stuff, just pressure, just pressure, just pressure. And one of the best ways to fight that is to sometimes just step back and take an inventory and just say, you know what? 
I belong to God and he belongs to me. He lives inside of me. He has equipped me for this very thing. He has empowered me to be an overcomer. Some of you, if I was a doctor making a diagnosis and writing out a prescription, some of you, you just need to sit around and just start reminding yourself of who you are in the Lord. Just sit down. The world, like I told you earlier in this message, will want to sit there and identify you by all the stuff that's wrong. Remember that? Put this on your past and your failure, this, blah, blah, blah. That's where you step back and you say, that's not who I am anymore. I belong to the Lord and he belongs to me. With every head bowed and every eye closed for just a few moments, I told you I wasn't going to be up here long. Some of you are shocked. You know, I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been in the church. We all go through difficulties. Sometimes we, we walk around with an orphan spirit where we feel abandoned, where we feel like we're, we, 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 we don't have that support system, so to speak. I want you to know you have a heavenly father that loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sent his only son for you and if he's willing to do that according to Philippians chapter 2 how will he not also in addition to him give you all good things and some of you are walking around in here and you're in a state of hurt you're in a state of defeat maybe you're walking around in a state of less than maybe some of you have believed lies maybe some of you have been tricked and again, we're not talking about intentionally. We're talking about it's deceit. That's what it is. You've been tricked. You've been lied to. You've been tricked. And you've lived lies. And now you look at your life and you say, how did I get here? And some of you, your emotions have become engaged. To the point that you've now acted out in ways that are contrary to what, what you know God wants for you. I want you to know God can set it all right he can set it all right this very night. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. If that's you, raise your hand. Come on. I don't care what you're dealing with, how big the issue is. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. I don't care how big the issue is. I don't care how small the issue is. Maybe, maybe it's just like, you know, the scripture talks about one of the little foxes that's spoiling the vine. It's just one of the little things that you just get tired. Man, hands are going up. That you've just dealt with for a long time. I want you to come forward. Come on, be brave. Come forward tonight. Come on, if you raised your hand, come on. Maybe you're wrestling with fear. Maybe you're wrestling with... Don't, don't kneel down. Don't kneel down. Just come up here and stand if you would. Maybe you're dealing with fear, insecurities. Maybe there's temptations. Maybe there's addictions. Maybe, <laughs> maybe people have spoken lies to you. Maybe people have spoken lies about you. Maybe you've even believed lies about yourself. The enemy comes in and says, well, man, I, I'm, I'm this way and this is the way I've always been. This is just the way it's been. That's a lie. That's a lie from hell. You're overcomers. How? The blood of the lamb. It set everything, set everything right. The word of your testimony. Some of you are going to walk up out of here with some testimonies.
Some of you, when you walk up out of here in a little while, you're going to be like, you will not believe what my heavenly father did for me tonight. God is good. Some of you ain't going to be able to sleep tonight. I just believe that. You're going to be so excited, so on fire that God has rectified and set some stuff straight. Maybe even lies and things that you believe for years. Bondages. A lot of times when people say bondages, they think of like addictions and stuff. Maybe I'm talking about a bondage of just faulty thinking. Just can't even think right. Can't think right about yourself. Can't think right about others. Church, how many of you would agree God can set them free? Truth be told, truth be told, we have all been here to one degree or another about something. Come on, is that right? We've all been here to one degree about something. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite some Holy Ghost filled prayer warriors to come up here tonight, if you would. We're gonna take some time and we're gonna pray with these that have come. We're gonna believe that God is gonna give you a new identity. A new identity tonight. See, if you're saved, you've already got a new identity. You already have it. Some of you just don't realize it. You just don't know it yet. And once you do, it's going to start making a difference and chains are going to come off. Amen? Church, how many of you would agree with me tonight? So we're going to take some time and pray. Would you stretch your hands this way as we pray for these that are up there? And if you feel compelled to come, up here and pray with these. I would invite you to come. We're inviting prayer warriors to come tonight. Let's pray over them in Jesus' mighty name. Oh 
just believing that there's a lot of people tonight that are learning their new identity in Christ. Their new identity in Christ. You know, this is a crazy, goofy thought. I'm sure we've all had similar thoughts like this at some point in our lives. If you ever had somebody come up to you and said, hey, I was tracing your family's history. And we found out that you are part of the royal family in England. How many of you would be excited about that? I'd be excited because it would tell me I have access to what they got. I'd be pumped. And you know, in a very real way, in a very serious way, when it comes to spiritual things, you're part of a family of God that's even greater than any earthly king. You have an identity and you have access to everything that he has. Now, hold on. If you say, well, Josh, I've prayed about something for a long time. He's not answering it the way I want to. That's where you step back and say, God, Father, I don't know what you're doing. But you're bigger than me. You're smarter than me. You've got something better in mind, better in store. My dad always used to tell me, he would say, Josh, if you ever pray about something and it doesn't come about the way you want, that just means something better's coming. And when you understand who your God is, when you understand who your heavenly Father is, if things are not good, it just means something better is on its way. You're his child. You're his child. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you tonight. And we're just so thankful, Holy Spirit, for moving, touching lives and hearts. God, we're thankful for your grace and your mercy. God, we're children. We're, we're your children. We're your children. That's my identity. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray that people that have walked around with burdens... And shame. God, remove that from them. And let them know who they are in you because of Jesus Christ. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming tonight. God bless you.